0: So we don't have to worry about our our hair or how we're dressed. So (laughs) it's very important to me. Welcome to today's episode of The Comical Heathen. This is your host, Jerry. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Jerry Jaffe. I'm the host of The Comical Heathen. I want to welcome you to today's episode, which features my interview with author A.J. Jacobs. Uh, He's author of the New York Times bestseller, Year of Living Biblically, as well as many other books, and I had a great opportunity to talk to him a couple weeks ago, and it's our featured interview for today's episode. Before I get to that, I want to cover a few things. Uh, First of all, uh, your humble host, that's me, that's Jerry, fighting a little bit of a cold today. I hope my voice can take it. really wanted to get this done. I'm going to think I can make it. I know I can make it. You and me together, we can make it. I want to point out this is our 15th episode. And I'm pretty excited about that. We've been working on this for about a year and a half. And uh, being the 15th episode, I thought I'd take a minute and just, you know, remind people what is going on with this podcast. Uh, for about uh past couple of years, I've been working on a book on religious satire. Actual theme of the book is religious satire post-September 11th. And looking at how um, some comedians may or may not have reacted to that post-September 11th world. Is there some influence between uh, overlap, a Venn diagram, if you will, of comedy, September 11th, and the social zeitgeist known as New Atheism. So that's kind of the realm I'm exploring. Uh, and I actually do stand-up comedy. I make no claims to be particularly good at it, but I uh, do travel around doing shows. And because of that, I know a lot of other comedians. So I actually just started asking some of my, you know, co-workers. Hey, what do you think about this idea? Comedy after September 11th. And while I was doing that, I had some really fascinating conversations. And it occurred to me, hey, Jerry, you should start recording these and sharing them with people. So that's how this podcast was born. So every episode features an interview with either a comedian or some other really interesting person. Uh, and There's no one more interesting than AJ Jacobs. So these podcasts stand on those interviews. But they also are part of my research because I'm interviewing people to help me write this book. That's where this podcast comes from, and uh, that's what it's about. You know, I've had some very interesting guests. I've had a lot of comedians. I've had um, Dan O'Shannon, who is the uh, who's one of the executive producers and writers for Frasier and many other TV shows. Uh, I've had comedian Sean Lynch, uh, who was on The Walking Dead and Grand Theft Auto and Celebrity Deathmatch. A lot of interesting people, Steve Hofstetter and... Uh, Mark Jaffe, who, although he has the same last name, is not related to me, but is known for being a writer on Seinfeld, and so on. When I started this podcast about 18 months ago, my goal was to get to 25. If I could get to 25, that would be a substantial number of interviews. And this is episode number 15, so I guess I am making some progress. Since I'm going through this recap, I'm going to do something a little different. At the end, I always thank people who help me. I'm going to thank some people who help me right now. First of all, that beautiful Bach music played on the organ that you hear during this show. It's played by my friend Mark Bell. He's a world-famous organist, travels the world playing organs in all the biggest churches, and I was real lucky that he shared some of his music with me. So thank you, Mark Bell. And I have a very good um, supporter, a friend. He's an audio engineer. He uh, helps me with uh, technical advice. He does write some material, helps me write these episodes. I want to make the standard disclaimer that uh, this show couldn't work without my friend um, Jeff Gettert. Thank you, Jeff Gettert. And, of course, any mistakes, uh, technical or uh, bad jokes, rest on my shoulders. And anything that has worked out well is due to my gratitude to Jeff Gettert. And I would like to also mention one more thank you. This show does have mascots. They are Calvin and Newton. Who are Calvin and Newton? They are our rabbits. My wife and I keep some Holland Lop, Calvin and Newton. They're little cute fuzzballs. They have little floppy ears. And they've actually been a part of this show uh, from the beginning. They're cute. They inspire me. And they play a very important role in the show because I have noticed since being a, a rabbit owner that my wife and I sometimes use newspapers to line their rabbit cages. And that's really the last use of newspapers, right? Everybody gets their news online. So we get newspapers, we get like old newspapers, we collect them, and we put them in the rabbit cages. I can't think of any other use for a newspaper right now. If you can think of one, let me know. But in the meantime, ironically, keeping old-fashioned paper newspapers in our rabbit cages has led to me reading headlines again. That used to be the old-fashioned way. Young people, you know, old people used to actually get physical paper newspapers and scan the headlines. And then if the headline was interesting, you'd read the rest of the story I guess it was like the 18th century version of clickbait. And so I've been reading headlines, and sometimes there are certain headlines which catch my attention. They usually have to do with um, religion or science or something like that that's in the news. And a headline will catch my eye, and that will cause me to read the article. And then, bam, I'm reading newspapers again. And uh, sometimes I find articles that uh, inspire me. And I'm going to tell you about an article that inspired me for this episode. But before I do... There's something, if you know me, I've never told you this before. I sometimes get vibrations from the other side that give me visions sometimes. and In fact, I'm getting one right now. Sounds kind of like a theremin. Can you hear it? All right, it's coming through now. I see a T. A T. Is it a Tommy, or a Tonka truck? No, it's Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. Ah, I'm seeing someone in Toledo. His name, his name, is it a K? 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 KKK no, that's not right. It's not a K, it's a C. Could be Carl, could be crematorium, could be Chris. Chris, that's it, I see a fellow. He has a beard, and his name is Chris Tiefel. And he's in a cheap, greasy diner somewhere in Toledo right now, stuffing a big, double cheeseburger right in his mouth. Bacon. No lettuce, no tomatoes, nothing that could be considered even remotely healthy. Wait, Chris, turn around very, very slowly behind you right now. It's John Lithgow. (laughs) If there's someone named Chris in Toledo listening to this while he eats a burger, he is freaking out right now. What are the odds of John Lithgow standing behind him right now? That would be brilliant. In fact, if any of John Lithgow's people are listening, call me. Let's make this happen. The thing that reminded me about my special powers is that I found in the rabbit hutch today several articles about psychics. Anybody who uh, listens to this podcast who has a skeptical mind and critical thinking skills uh, already probably knows uh, what cold readings are. I was just mimicking one. Cold reading is where a so-called psychic tosses out super vague hints, suggestions, and then the audience gives the answers. You know, like I'm seeing a name. It begins with the letter J. Could be and then you look around the audience until someone reacts. The letter J mean anything. Letter James or John Jennifer? Jessica, Jason, Jeffrey, Justin, Janet, a Jack, a Julie. A Jerry, a Joyce, Jeremy, a Judith, a Jean, a Jandis, a Jordan, Jane, a Jose, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus anything. J J? Oh, no no, no. no hits with a J? Maybe. Oh, I know what it is. It's, it's changing shape. I couldn't see it clearly. It wasn't a J. It was actually an S. Yes, it had like a, two hooks, not just the one. Two, two, it could be an S. Susan, Stephen, Sarah, Sarah Silverman. It might not be the first letter. It could be a possessive S at the end of your name. Does that mean anything to anyone? Michaels, Lindas, Davids. I, you know, I'm, whoa, well, I'm just realized that doing a psychic reading on a podcast is a lot harder than I thought. Hey, but Edgar Bergen made a whole career as a radio ventriloquist, so why not? And of course, the spirits of dead people are all right here beside me. I mean, badly dressed, and they could tell me anything they want at any time. But for some reason, when there's not an audience, they never tell me what, you know, What they want to say. Seems like they need some random people around me saying if I'm getting warmer or colder or if they know what the letter J or S or M means. You know. And hey, there's this dead dead guy right next to me. I was going, that's weird, huh? And yet TV shows like Ellen, Oprah, Montel, Doctor Phil, Doctor Oz still put these frauds on the air. Larry King used to. And people watch this shit. And I don't exactly blame the viewers. Because, you know, you're at home watching TV. If you like Ellen and the Ellen show starts and then Ellen has a a guest who does anything, you're going to watch it. It could be a guest about uh, the most exciting shades of paint to watch dry and Ellen fans are going to watch. So when she gives these so-called psychics time on her TV show, viewers are just going to, like, go with it. You know, hey, it's okay. They don't know the real reason that Psychic is on is because R. Kelly canceled at the last minute. But I feel like the showrunners could at least make it more interesting. You know, why not, if you're going to have a psychic on, why not make an audience full of skeptics or an audience full of magicians? You know what would be fantastic? Have an audience entirely made up of people of Asian descent. No explanation, no advance warning given to the psychic, just an audience full of Asians, Asian-Americans. Watch her freak out when she walks on stage. Psychic would be like, I'm getting something here. Uh, It's a name that begins with like, Uh, a squiggly shape with like three lines and a part that goes like this and you know it's like squiggle 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 you know like I saw one on a Chinese menu once you know what I mean does that mean anything to anyone it would be fantastic. Psychics remind me of superheroes they sometimes have great costumes combined with imaginary powers. I actually have more faith in Groundhog Day because at least Puxatawney Phil actually sees his shadow. You know, this article claims that there are 95,000 professional psychics in America, which is a surprisingly large number. It would be like someone saying that there are 95,000 spiders living in your basement. I mean, you know there's some, but it's been a while since you checked, and now you're a little creeped out. The same article says that psychics in America are a $2 billion industry. That's a B billion $2 $2 billion industry. $2 billion I could almost pay off my student loans. Right in Cleveland, where I live, there are about 95,000 open mics. But there ain't no comedians making no $2 billion in Cleveland. You know what this statistic reminds me of? That time when Marco Rubio said we need less philosophers and more welders. Turns out he, he was wrong twice. There's only about 10,000 philosophy professors. He should be encouraging people to take up psychic I mean, he is a senator from Florida, which makes sense, since Florida is known for psychics, alligators, and alligators who are psychics. Just think, with nothing more than a bandana, some chakras, and the moral compass of a Trump, you too could cash in on the scam. And hey, chakra's a fun word, right? Sounds like something a foodie would put in a muffin. Mmm, I love my kale and quinoa muffins with a layer of chakra. What kind of resume does a psychic have? Who else but a psychic would have Thomas Jefferson as a reference? And psychics remind me of coffee. Too much gives me diarrhea, and you got to add a lot of sugar. And I mean a lot just to swallow it. And the ironic thing to me is, if a dead person could really communicate with the psychic, they'd be the ones asking questions. They'd be like, who the hell are you? Why are you charging my grieving loved ones money? And how much are you charging them? Did you use the money I left them to buy that ugly shirt you're wearing? Screw this. I don't need you. I'm going to go talk to them myself. And you know all that letter guessing and stuff? That's a cold reading. There's also hot readings. That is when the psychic actually knows something about you. And uh, people don't realize how easy it is to know stuff about you. I mean, psychics are even worse than Russians at trolling your social media. You could literally be sitting in an audience, and a psychic or medium could have someone backstage on Facebook with a shortwave radio just giving information about you, You know, relationship status, single again. Pet dog Fido, recently passed. Foodie who loves muffins with quinoa, kale, and chakras. I mean, they have your whole history right there to look at. That's a hot reading. Uh, This one article I have says that sometimes psychics and mediums are called grief vampires, but that sounds too much like a hot topic employee. That's too cool. I think a better name would be uh, sick fuck con men who cash in on other people's sadness and loss. If psychics actually had even the slightest bit of genuine ability, they would spend their every waking moment answering the same question over and over and over. Where did Grandpa hide the money? Now, the so-called art, psychics, mediums, faith healers, uh, chiropractors are all protected by the First Amendment. That is, as long as it's just for fun. But if they start scamming people out of big bucks charging thousands to dispel evil spirits or curses. Then it becomes an actual case of fraud, and psychics can and do get arrested sometimes. I mean, I've seen psychics who make spurious claims about speaking with the dead, treating depression, and providing marriage counseling. No need for training, qualifications, or science. These psychics have all they need, a gift. I've seen a lot of articles in the past couple of years about mediums and psychics getting busted, They've usually, at that point, been debunking somebody out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes they make plea deals, and whenever you make a plea deal, you have to do an illocution where you explain your crimes, and every single one of them explains that they're just doing cold reading and hot reading, you know, manipulating the people, which I love. It does, it does give us, like, some hope about fighting back against these fraudsters. Because remember, psychics are like turtles, their shell is like the First Amendment that protects them, but you can still make some turtle soup out of them if you're persistent. And that is what I found at the bottom of the rabbit hutch today. I consider misinformation a sin, and that's why we have to fight back with critical thinking skills and skepticism. And, hey, I'm not trying to ruin anybody's good time, but uh, it might be your dogma, but it's my karma. All right, so now that we got that out of the way, I'd like to get to our, my interview with A.J. Jacobs. Had a great talk with him. We talked by Skype. The conversation is a little Skypey, but my computer has pretty high quality. So this is very listenable, very nice uh, conversation. We talk about his life, his work. AJ talked about his, his approach to humor writing and memoirs. It's kind of an extreme memoirist where he gives himself challenges and then sort of chronicles how they affect his life. Uh, we talk about some of the other challenges he did. Uh, but his book, The Year of Living Biblically, was on the New York Best Times seller list for uh, many, many weeks. And it was eventually turned into a sitcom of the same name. It only lasted one season, and we talk about that a little bit too. And a couple other things that come up is uh, I've asked every comedian and other guest on this show if they think 9-11 had any effect on their work or on humor in general. And AJ is one of the first people to actually just say yes to that question. So thank goodness for that. It gives me some quotes I can use in my book, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. And also um, we'll hear, you know, what he thinks about that. And I do want to just tease a little thing. You've all heard of the Golden Rule. A.J.'s going to tell you what the Platinum Rule is. Uh, With no further uh, delay, let's get to my interview with A.J. Jacobs. All right, well, this is Dr. Jerry Jaffe, your host here at the Comical Heathen, and I am so pleased to have as my interview guest today, uh, author and journalist and humorist, A.J. Jacobs. So, thank
1: you, Jerry. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you, AJ. I, I, uh, we've never met, but I, I've read num- a number of your books, and uh, including Year of Living Biblically, so I'd love to talk about your work uh, and that book. I know a lot about you as a fan, but for listeners who are just meeting you for the first time, what should they know about you? What's your background? How'd you get into writing?
1: Sure. I got into writing because I had no other skills, so that's <laughs> the main thing. And uh and my writing genre is I I try something out for a few weeks, a month, a year, and then I write about the experience. So... Uh... Uh, you mentioned my book, The Year of Living Biblically, and that was where I tried to follow all the rules of the Bible <laughs> as literally as possible. So everything from the Ten Commandments to not shaving my beard and stoning adulterers. I used very small stones, like pebbles. So, um, I did another one where I tried to be the healthiest person alive. and. Right changed everything in my diet and exercise and how I went to the bathroom. Sure. I won't get into that if, unless you want me to. I'm happy to. Uh, so that I'll is uh, <laughs> that's sort of my genre. Uh. They, they call it immersion journalism or stunt journalism or sure. experiential journalism. Whatever they uh, whatever they call it, I'm okay with
0: Now, your first book of that kind, at least the one that I read, was the uh, Know-It-All. Mm. You endeavored to read a whole encyclopedia set A to Z within one calendar year.
1: Exactly. Um. Well, I I missed my deadline. I went over the calendar year, but I was able to read the whole Encyclopedia (laughs) Britannica from A to Z, which is 33,000 pages. And uh, it was, uh, yes, my intellectual Mount Everest. (laughs) Uh,
0: I enjoyed that memoir. It's the first one of yours I read. For you, uh, entertaining read, but for, for you doing it, was it worth it?
1: Well, it's interesting. I have forgotten, I'd say, about... (laughs) 99.4% Ninety-nine point four percent, plus or minus. But but I will I will say I do remember the you know, more than I not point six percent of the encyclopedia. Still, that's a lot of information. So I do bit. feel I know more. And I you know there were some bigger takeaways, which was for instance, the good old days were not good. Like you read about history and it's right. like so. Even though I am, this is. In many ways, a terrible era in American <laughs> history. But uh, you know, sure. taking the long view, we've got so much going for us. Uh, you know, even just to take one out of like a thousand examples, a popular uh, medical treatment in the past were uh, were tobacco enemas. No, tobacco. What was? Yeah, it was tobacco <laughs> enemas. They would uh, they would literally take a hose mm-hmm. and stick it up your butt, and then they would blow smoke <laughs> up your butt to cure your stomach ache. And uh, it was like uh, the phrase, sm- blowing smoke up your ass. There's no theories where that came from, but it, it's probably from this practice, the tobacco enema. So, yeah, there are uh, many reasons to be thankful to it, be alive today.
0: It's uh, it's also funny to me that you went to a medical example because I have a, a, like a little um, uh, mantra I live by. Which Mm. is, I would not want to live in any era before penicillin was invented. Mm. Just being in the post-penicillin era is the preferable half of history I would like to live in.
1: (laughs) That is such a good point. And my (laughs) mantra is surgery before anesthesia. Whenever I'm in a bad mood, that's what I always say to myself. I'm like, listen. Like, uh, you know, because I read some first-hand accounts of what that was like.
0: Mm -hmm. Not pleasant. Not pleasant. (laughs) When you do these, like, experiential memoirs, which in addition to several books, you've done articles, some of which were collected into a book as well, The Guinea Pig Diaries, I think it was called. Yeah. I'm sure there's not a one answer to this, but where do you get your inspiration? Like, you're walking around, and then one day you think, hey, I'm going to live according to all the rules of the Bible. Like, how does that stroke (laughs) of lightning uh, like that come to you for any of these experiments
1: that's a good question i partly it's i see something that i find interesting and i sort of take it to the extreme and what would it be like to live it out so i remember many years ago reading the world is flat or the earth is flat by thomas friedman and it was all about outsourcing so i'm like well what would it be like (laughs) if i outsourced Everything in my life, so sure. I did. I hired a team of people in Bangalore, India, to answer my emails <laughs> and my phone calls, and to argue with my wife for me. So, uh, so that's basically that's one of the ways I think about it. Is I look at an interesting cultural phenomenon and then say, "What would it be like if you sort of take it to the absurd extreme?" And hopefully, the hope is that you learn something. You know, I'm. I don't want to continue this. I don't want to live biblically (laughs) for the rest of my life, but that you'll get some wisdom out of it that that might even improve your life or that might, you know, as satire, might expose some hypocrisies. Sure.
0: Well, satire is the theme of this podcast, but I want to ask you at least a couple more questions just about your work before digging into that nugget. Another one of the the guinea pig diary, sort of mini experiments, and if I have the phrase wrong, please correct me, did you go for a month or 2 weeks or a month trying to practice radical truth telling?
1: Yes. Yeah, more than that, a couple of months doing. Okay. It's called radical honesty. Okay. And oh. it is a uh, it is this uh, it was invented by a psychologist in okay. Virginia who believes that you should always tell the truth. Sure. But he sure. goes further than that. He says whatever's on your brain Should come out of your mouth like no filter. So I tried that, and it was, you know, it was horrible. It was an absolute disaster (laughs) because, you know, the idea is you're supposed to say things like, if you are having a a fantasy uh, about your wife's sister, you're supposed to tell your wife and her sister. Right. So you can imagine this is not great for. Any part of your life, your marriage, your job, your friendships. Uh, So, yeah, I don't recommend it overall. But I will say, again, I did learn some life-altering (laughs) truths, which is uh, that there are times that it's important and liberating to be more radically honest. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be like, you know, I'm not going to talk about my fantasies about my wife's (laughs) sister. Partly because she doesn't have a sister. Sure. Uh, but, but but radical positive honesty, I mm. think, is a is it, something that I've tried to adopt. Okay. Where I'm like, you know, even if it's awkward, right. just kind of be like, you know, tell an old mentor right. how right. much he meant to me. You know, just remembering to be really honest about your feelings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... That radical positive honesty, I think, is uh, something to consider.
0: Well, your wife, um, you know, appears in these narratives. So just in general, she must be a good sport about it. She is.
1: And she is, uh, but she does get back at me. Like in the, <laughs> the year of living biblically, yes, there was, uh, it, I was trying to take the Bible as literally as possible. So uh-huh. in Leviticus, it talks about how you cannot touch women during their time a month during their right. menstrual, uh, right. menstrual cycle. And uh, if you take Leviticus really seriously, it says that you should not sit in a seat where a menstruating woman has sat. Right. And my wife found that offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment. <laughs> and I was forced to stand for the year. So she's able to get back at me. for
0: So for the Year of Living Biblically, not to overdo it, but I really enjoyed that book. I've read it a couple times. I've given it as diffs numerous times.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, my,
0: I, one of my friends uh, loves that book so much that I texted him after we communicated and said, I'm going to interview A.J. Jacobs. And he was like as enthusiastic as I am. So so that book is really like <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> I
1: love it. Well, you make me commit the sin of pride.
0: You're you're welcome. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how did that, how did the year of living biblically begin? What was the stroke of lightning that like sent you off on that journey?
1: Well, a couple of things. I mean, just, uh, my background, as I say in the book, I grew up with no religion. Sure. Uh, I'm Jewish in the same way the olive garden is Italian. Okay. So not very. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to learn about religion. You know, I was fascinated that billions of people, mm-hmm. uh, are religious and I just wanted to understand am I missing something? Sure. What is going on? What are the good parts of religion as a in addition to what are the ridiculous parts? Sure. So I thought this was a way to try mm-hmm. to dive in to actually immerse myself sure. and live by the Bible. Right. And then the more satirical reason I wanted to do it <laughs> is just reading, you know, all these millions of people, especially in the United States, who say, Oh, I live by the Bible right. literally. And that's why homosexuality is a sin. It says sure. it right there in the Bible. Yep. Or, you know, that's why the world is six thousand years old. Right. And I'm like, my feeling was you say you're living by the Bible literally, but real What are you? No. <laughs> because there's you know, yes. are you separating are you Uh, Avoiding wearing clothes made of two kinds of fabric. No. uh, (laughs) You're cherry picking the different parts of the Bible that back up your prejudices. So I thought one way to expose this Mm -hmm. would be to sort of become the ultimate fundamentalist and actually live by all the rules of the Bible. So that was, it was sort of, there was one more earnest uh, motivation to try to see what was good in religion that I might be missing and might be able to take. And the other was the more sort of satirical, trying to show the flaws of fundamentalism.
0: Um, In terms of trying to show the flaws in fundamentalism, I know in more, you know, let's just say like more uh, um, like the new atheist movement, your Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris is, they get a lot of like pushback. Now your book isn't sort of like that bulldog-ish. But did you get pushback? Were there angry letters or complaints from people who considered Sometimes, themselves
1: religious? It, it, was in, it was much less controversial than I thought. Okay. And partly this is because of the confirmation bias. So I would okay. get a lot of letters from atheists saying, thank you for exposing <laughs> how crazy ridiculous the Bible is. Sure. With all these rules about stoning adultery. Yes. But I also got lots of letters from religious people saying, you know, thank you for showing the good side of religion and, you know, and yes. renewing my faith. Yep. I'm like, that's not exactly what I was uh, intending, but it's an interesting, it's almost like the Bible itself. Yeah. You can read it any, you know, there's a great quote. I forget of some poet that we read the Bible day and night. Some see black and some see white. And it's true. You can take, you know, it can, you can read the Bible as, you know, a progressive document that against oppression, or you can use it to justify slavery, sure. as was done in the 19th century. So it was fascinating to see the reaction, see, just ah, the confirmation bias I'd imagine in action. So.
0: If, if there's one you can think of, uh, if not, I might edit this question out. Did you get any letters that you responded to, either to defend yourself or because they moved you in some way? Or any responses, emails, letters that you responded to?
1: I definitely, I do try to respond whenever Mm. I can, Mm. and um, I especially was moved by the letters where it would be, like, someone who grew up in a very conservative religious family who, you know, said, like, you know, I don't believe, or I'm gay, and my parents don't accept me, right? and your book showed me that, you know, maybe there's another way, and that the vibe because I interview people who are like, you know, right. gay evangelical Christians, which sure. is, on an oxymoron. But, uh, <laughs> so I love that made me yeah. feel very good.
0: Well, let me, uh, let me ask you a question about interviewing people and I'm yeah. going to make like a quick comparison. I'm sure I can't be the first one. It's just a uh, obvious comparison, which is, uh, the kind of benchmark film Religious by Bill Maher and mm. uh, which is a film, not a book, but he, he goes to different people and places while investigating. And he's a, a little bit more in that Richard Dawkins, you know, aggressive camp. Yeah. But it's still kind of similar. Like he goes on a little journey where he meets different religious people and gives, and hears what they have to say. So just I, I mentioned that comparison because the Year of Living Biblically has that kind of a narrative as well. You go out and meet different people and learn about either their beliefs or their rituals or participate in some uh, little rituals here and there. So, yeah. so how did the, that go in general? And then there, were there any that still, like, stick with you now?
1: Oh, right. yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part of the project, was right. interviewing people with wildly different belief systems. Right. And uh, I did like religious, relig, however you pronounce you say it, it. Yes, however you uh-huh. want to
0: say it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I tried a slightly different uh, approach, I think.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: I tried because I did want to, you know, expose the more harmful Religious beliefs, but I also wanted to. uh, I did try to go in with the benefit, giving the benefit of the doubt, right? Almost more anthropological why they believe this, what does it do for them? So, something like when I went to the creationist museum, sure, which deserves ridicule, sure, for sure, but Uh, at the uh, same time, I wanted to figure out why. Why do they believe this? What does it do for them? Are yeah. there any good points to it? Like sure. you know, even looking for the good, even in the most absurd. And I was able to find some good points. For instance, they talked about this idea that we all are descended from Adam and Eve just 6,000 years ago. Right. If you have that point of view, then it's very clear how closely we're related. Like. Sure closely we are cousins and and weirdly they are not really racist uh, at least some of them i can't okay. say that for sure, all- sure but some of the people who work there were were very much into the idea of you know we're all a big family and sure. they're homophobic but <laughs> they're not racist right so the idea of uh, of this as a way to think about the uh, that we're all yeah. so closely aligned, and we're all on the same side. We're so. all God's children. Like I, sure. I'm an agnostic atheist, so I don't believe we're God's children. Sure, but I think it's a useful uh, way to look at yeah. the world, and maybe to treat each other with more kindness.
0: Sure. So, which that, a kind of um that's a thing. Uh, Stephen Colbert, who is uh, Catholic raised and and basically a believer, will often say that uh, the point of religion is to make you a better person. If you're doing it right. if you, I'm paraphrasing. Right. But if you're doing it right, your religion should make you a better person.
1: Well, that's what I talk about in the book. You know, I say everyone cherry picks from the Bible. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, you can cherry pick the really rotten cherries, which right. are about intolerance and mm-hmm. how homosexuality is evil. But there are some delicious, there are some good cherries. <laughs> there's some good, you know, there's cherries about... Lo- loving your neighbor and mm-hmm. compassion and embracing outcasts and yes, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. that's some pretty good. Those are some pretty good cherries. I mean, the golden rule. Right. I'm actually I prefer the platinum rule. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know the platinum no, rule. No, what's the platinum? Because reason? the golden rule is treat others as you would right. like to treat it yourself. Sure. Uh, but what if you're like you know a masochist, or what if you have like a fetish for sure. balloon popping, and you like give your friend, like a hundred balloons, sure. thinking that's what he wants, and maybe he doesn't like balloons. Right. It, the platinum rule is more, treat others as they would like to be treated. <laughs> a little bit better. I've never heard, uh, that, I've heard that before. That but anyway, there are some good cherries in the Bible. Well, was,
0: the one, you know, as an academic, I've written a paper about the Creation Museum, mm. and if I was going to... I went down there and I also tried to be journalistic and objective, like what is going on here? What can I observe or learn by being here? If if I had to cherry pick something that was in the Creation Museum that I thought could be a positive value, it would be that they consider weeds evil. Like there's an actual (laughs) thing where they say weeds are evil. So I think think most of us can get on board with... Weeds in your garden?
1: Like lawn weeds?
0: (laughs) They, I like it. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So I guess if you're I open-minded, have... you can find something. <laughs>
1: Always find something. That's a nice way to.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, that's
1: nice. I think <laughs> it's a nice way to
0: approach the other tribe because it's. Well, I, I mean, I I brought up the Bill Maher comparison because uh, I think as like a narrative, there's a parallels, but and the satire in your book, in terms of exposing possible hypocrisy or groundwork for doing so, but the writing was still like a genial and a pleasant and uh, all of your encounters were like documented in a in a friendly way i mean a a, a different sort of mentality
1: well that's nice to hear i mm. mean partly i think that when we, you're trying to convince someone uh <laughs> to change their opinion sure. like attacking sure. that opinion is not going to work like <laughs> you know that is just going to polarize them so maybe being generous and looking, you know, for the good and and as well as critiquing it might work. I don't know if that's true, you know, uh, (laughs) but it was, it was my approach. And and I think, you know, I did get some letters. I did get a lot of letters saying, you know, this is, um, I disagree with you, but you made me realize that it's, uh, you know, I don't have to hate gay people, which is, which was lovely uh, and um, and I did get a lot of letters saying that they were praying for me sure so that's nice, you know i don't believe that prayer works, but <laughs> it can't hurt sure. it can't you know maybe in that point one percent chance that <laughs> prayer works, this is great sure. i've got a lot of
0: people praying for it's me a, it's a win win yeah, so another um just big offshoot of the year of living biblically is that it got i got um optioned by Brad Pitt's film company, and then eventually turned into a sitcom. Yes. CBS, if I remember.
1: Yes, CBS, so,
0: exactly. So, A, congratulations on at least having that uh, occur. Thank you, I and suppose, then, yes. And then, I mean, it's, as a process, there's several steps, so I don't know if we have to go too far down the rabbit hole, but what, what was that like? What was it like uh, getting it optioned? What was it like when it got turned into a TV show? How involved were well, you?
1: <laughs> the whole process was hilarious because it went through so many iterations. It's right. like a parody of Hollywood. You know, people right. would have their own uh, ideas on what it would be. Sure. And the, the sitcom that came out, I really liked the people doing it. Sure. And they, I think they were super talented. Yep. Actual content of the sitcom. Right not my favorite right. not my favorite <laughs> was, right. I was not unhappy when it was canceled after 13 episodes sure. because it was it was very loosely based on my book right. so the parts that were the same is the guy was a writer and mm-hmm. he was trying to live by all the rules of the bible literally right. yes and he lived in new york but there were many, you know, they took many liberty. First of all, they changed my religion. I, I'm of, as I say, I'm Jewish, yes. but this guy became a lapsed Catholic, I suppose, because there are more Catholics sure. uh, or Christians <laughs> than Jews in, uh, uh, in America. I also thought, I knew we were kind of in trouble when CBS would not let the main character grow a beard. Because okay. the Bible says, Leviticus, you cannot shave the corners of your beard. Right. And I didn't know where the corners were. So I just <laughs> let the whole thing grow. Yes. And by then, I kind of looked like Ted
0: Kaczynski. There's some great photos of you. <laughs>
1: well, thank you. Yes. I am, uh, yeah, I think that actually helped a lot seeing the crazy beard. But CBS, I think, was worried that the character would like look too crazy and turn off Middle right. America right. and look like a terrorist. Right. So they wouldn't let him grow the beard. And that was, I was right. like, that's not a good sign. Like right. they are going to definitely whitewash this idea. Yes. And they did. And they did. Because as I mentioned, you know, the idea was to try to, part of the idea was to expose fundamentalism, whereas the TV show right. seemed to be like, let's, uh, let's show the good parts of religion. Let's show how. Right. So the idea was that this character would become a better person. Right by following all the rules of the bible right uh so it was almost like they took the idea and went in the opposite direction so it was (laughs) i loved the process as i say because i got to go out and hang out on the set and have free free craft (laughs) services that was awesome but the result i was like oh boy and just to give you one example the main character it's almost like they took it like the year of living religiously as opposed to the year of living biblically, because okay. they are different. So, for instance, he, in one episode, the joke was he had a little keychain with a statue of Jesus, okay. uh, and it was called, uh, he called it Keysis. That okay. was the joke, it was like some portmanteau, sure. it was funny. But the truth is, if you follow the Bible literally, one of the top commandments, I think it's <laughs> two for three, depending how you can yeah. account. Do not make yes. images of anything on earth or in heaven or the sky. Do yes. not make graven images. So a statue of Jesus is like an idol. It's yes. like totally banned. I would never do that right. during my year. I mean, right. I took it so far that I wouldn't, I wouldn't doodle. I wouldn't draw pictures of people. I wouldn't draw stick figures. I wouldn't do emojis right. because <laughs> uh, you know that's basically portraying a smile. Right. So. Okay. And and that I wanted to show, you know, this don't take the Bible literally. And theirs was more like, hey, look at this guy; he's becoming religious. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So yeah, it's, it was a it was a wild experience, and I'm glad that it's over.
0: <laughs> and I, I I watched the first couple episodes, and without it, the behind the scenes, but being a fan, I kind of like felt what you're saying. The, I think mm. the way I would have put it at the time. And maybe even colored by what you're saying now is that they, they didn't lean into the concept. Like they didn't commit to the bit, as we say in comedy. There was totally. like a comedic yeah, idea or satiric idea, and they kind of leaned away from it.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, in the Bible, part of the book was about becoming a better person. Like part of it was like trying not to gossip as much and yes. trying not to covet. And, you know, I still think those can make your life better. Okay. But, Half the book was about the craziness. Yes. Like the Bible says, you know, if two men are in a fight and the wife of one of the men grabs the testicles of the other man, then her hand shall be cut off. Right. So I would spend like pages like trying <laughs> to figure out what the hell is going on here. And that part just was swept under the rug in the TV sure.
0: show. Sure. Well, let's talk about satire for at least a few minutes directly. Um, sure. Let's start at square 1. Do you consider the year of living biblically the book, your book, to be a satire?
1: I think partly. I mean, partly it was earnest as a, you know, as I tried to mix it up uh, <laughs> so that part of it's earnest and okay. like actually she seeing what what I can what is useful in religion sure. if anything. And I do think there is like, you know, the, I do like some of the rituals, you know, sure. I don't believe in God, but uh, I like, you know, a good Seder where you get together <laughs> with family. Sure. Um, but some of it yeah was satire and trying to parody the uh, or or take to the extreme the more ridiculous right. parts of the bible so yeah i would say it's you know partly satire
0: so the idea of taking you know an idea that you're studying or criticizing to an extreme that's like a very greek version of satire it's like where the word lampooning comes from
1: very oh yeah that's interesting yeah. And I also think the idea of taking things too literally yes. is sort of the genre of comedy. Yes. So, you know, when they say, like, um, well, I didn't do this, but there were people in the Bible It says, if your eye offends you, then pluck it out. Right. And there are people throughout history who plucked out their eyes. <laughs> and, you know, they weren't trying to do shtick, but yes. in retrospect, it's pretty... It's darkly amusing, yes. like these crazy people took it literally. So, yeah, taking things overly literally, I think, is almost like my kids read used to read this book, Amelia Bedelia. Yeah. You know that? Yep. And that was the idea, you know, they would say to the maid, draw the curtains, and she would literally take out a pen and right. draw a picture right. of the curtains. <laughs> you know, dress the turkey, and she would put clothes on the turkey. Sure. So, so
0: yeah. that, I think, uh, is there's another satirical element. Oh, it's just, uh, I, I can't stop myself from saying this, but uh, in the Marx Brothers, that was part of Harpo Marx's dick. That mm-hmm. someone would say something in the room, and then he would, like, do literally. think like, there's a scene where they're locked in a room, and Chico hands him a rope and says, tie on the bed, rope out the window. And he takes his tie and puts it on the bed and throws the rope out the window. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
1: there you go. <laughs> um,
0: exactly. Very yeah, similar. As a satirist, um, are there, or even as a humorist in general, are there? You know, who are your forebears? Are there influences? Either writers or comedians that either you admire or you emulate? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, uh, definitely. I
1: mean, I have a lot of people I admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess my books are often a mix of genres so you know partly it's like you know the 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 first person like david sedaris who's the master of this so you know just trying to uh, approach something (laughs) the way he does partly it's this genre of like putting immersing yourself in something so george Plimpton was uh, one of the founders of this where he was a writer in the 60s and 70s and he would join a baseball team uh, or a football team where he would get punched in the face by a professional boxer. (laughs) Uh, So I I thought I liked that. And uh, in terms of parody, I mean, I guess my my humor was formed from places like Saturday Night Live and Woody Allen and – And Monty Python, they did a lot of brilliant religious satire. So, I don't know. It's just a mishmash.
0: Right. Uh, Is there anyone uh, currently, uh, comedians or other writers, that you think do satire really well?
1: oh sure and now it's coming uh, now i'm blanking but uh, okay,
0: you're welcome you're welcome <laughs>
1: <laughs> i am a huge fan of Stephen fry sure. i always think about i saw a clip of him on this british tv show and the guy's interview question that he always asks at the end of his interviews mm. is you know when you get to the pearly gates if there is a god what would you say to him sure. and you know apparently most people are like you know Well, thank you for a life and, you know, the miracle that you created. And Stephen Fry said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Bone cancer in children? Like, what kind of sick (laughs) statist would come up with that Uh, idea? What? You are a terrible, terrible (laughs) being. Uh, And I always just, that just makes me laugh because it's so true. Like, what kind of a horrible Horrible person would inflict this much suffering on the human race. Right. So, um,
0: and he has that, um, I can't remember if it's Oxford or Cambridge, but he's one of them, and he has that like strong classic British accent. And so when he says stuff like that, it both sounds like gentle but also like authoritative like oh my god like someone who knows what they're talking about is saying this
1: (laughs) that is so true yeah i think an english accent raises your perceived iq by like seven
0: points and i for him i'm going to give him nine like
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think genuinely is a huge iq so he doesn't even need it
0: but well he was uh, on the old british version of whose line is it anyway and they were doing a skit and the suggestion from the audience was do uh like a Roman drama genre, and he started uh-huh. improvising in Latin, like <laughs> yeah. oh my
1: God, yeah, that guy so. is uh, fantastic, and he just seems like a nice guy too. Yeah. He just seems like uh, he genuinely, which I like yeah. like i i, I don 't think um, yes. you know I find anger can be funny, like the yeah. Sam Kinnison really, really yes. angry humor, yeah. um, yep. but I actually prefer when it's a a little more gentle and compassionate type satire. But that's just me, that's personally, you know. I don't know which is more effective. But for me, I just prefer the Stephen Fry gentleness.
0: So um, one of the premises of my book, which is sort of the serious side, the dark cloud to my silver lining, is that after September 11th, with the generic rise of what's now called New Atheism, there was like a parallel component where at least some comedians were becoming more vocally into religious satire.
1: Mm. And again,
0: Bill Maher is the most obvious example, but there are uh, many others I could, I could list. But I right. not, uh, your book comes out after September 11th. I don't know if that was on your mind or not at all. But in, just in general, is any effects on either you and your writing or culture and humor after September 11th that you think about or that you would notice now that I've pointed it out? Just thoughts on that theme? Yeah,
1: I guess I can just speak personally because uh, mm-hmm. I haven't studied the, the societal effects. But I would say, for me, yeah, that was one one of the reasons I really wanted to attack fundamentalism because sure. I do think, of course, uh, that 9-11 was a result of fundamentalist thinking. And some of these radical uh, Islamist yes. uh, followers are actually doing the a similar premise to my book but not as like a book contract but instead as a earnest way of life you know right. so like beheading uh adultery, like yes. they're real Don't they yes. you know in some countries they still do stone adulterers yes. not as a joke not with pebbles yes. so i wanted that that definitely made me nervous about fundamentalism sure. so it was you know islamic fundamentalism but also judeo-christian fundamentalism which uh you know the yeah. idea that uh homosexuality is a sin or or harry sure. potter is evil because it um uh, you know mm-hmm. it, it, it endorses uh magic so but yeah 9-11 was definitely uh, i don't know a wake-up call or uh, that sure. fundamentalism is super dangerous
0: sure. sure i have a couple of like sort of questions that'll lead us to our end. So, uh, uh, I thank you. I know I'm sort of trying to manage this or so not here all day. Uh, respect thank your you. time. So here's just a couple of questions that'll lead us to an end. One is what are you working on now? Like what should AJ Jacobs fans be looking for in the next couple of years?
1: Ah, well, I I just finished a book, so they can look for that. It's called Thanks a Thousand and I went around the world and tried to thank a thousand people who had even the smallest role in making my morning <laughs> cup of coffee. So the I thank the barista, I thank the went to South America, thank the farmer, but I also thank, you know, the logo designer, the biologist who worked on the coffee beans, <laughs> the trucker they go, the yeah. person who painted the yellow lines in the road so mm. the truck wouldn't uh, veer sure. into traffic. So the idea was, again, a one of connection, that we're all connected.
0: But your, your previous book, or the one I'm currently reading anyway, It's All Relative, had that kind of theme as well.
1: Totally. Very similar theme, that we're yeah. all cousins. Right.
0: And also, and this might not be your intention, I'm just reacting while we're talking, thanking a thousand people, including the people who paint the roads and whatnot, seemed to, like. Uh, to me, this is my gut reaction, could be seen as a response to the idea of like uh, entrepreneurs are independent succeeders you know like
1: i love that that's exactly that was a big part of it is that this cult of uh, the individual is not good like this yeah Yeah. that obama got in trouble for giving that speech that said you did not build this alone like the government built the roads that you use (laughs) for your business yes and he got a lot of crap for that yes but uh, I agree with the thesis, you know, yes. it takes <laughs> uh, it takes thousands of people to make anything work.
0: Right. And we all, I'm drinking coffee now while we're speaking, so we all, that coffee huh. got to me somehow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also, just as a as a kind of a last open-ended question, is there anything about humor or satire that you think is important that we haven't gotten to yet? Or, hmm. or something you've never been asked that you would like to be asked, and now I'll ask you it?
1: <laughs> well, I guess... I, I mean, I think about humor a lot, and, uh, and I do think about sort of, you know, angry, mean humor versus sure. uh, kind of more gentle humor. And I guess I've, I've kind of migrated away personally from using mean humor and enjoying it, because right. it is enjoyable. Yeah. It really, like, reaches, well, you John know.
0: the police recently <laughs> said that he thought one of the funniest things in comedy was an insult. Yeah, But even when, he's, even when he said it, he, like, repeated himself. I, but I mean that in comedy, not in real life. Like, he made a point to say, <laughs> in real life, we shouldn't just go around insulting each other because it's funny. But in right. comedy, it's hilarious when characters insult each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I mean, it's the basis of most sitcoms is, like, 80% insult humor. Yeah. I guess I move more towards, like, absurdist humor. And I really like, you know, almost like, you know, puzzles and yes. weird, recursive humor. So that, I don't know, that's yeah. where I am personally. But Sure. Uh,
0: we mentioned that, you know, your wife appears in your books as a character and as a factor, and she must be uh-huh. a good sport about it, and she knows what you do as a job. <laughs> um, that's a common thing with actors and comedians, like our spouses and partners sort of have to accept our weird jobs. I, I will say it's an amusing, if I dare say, running joke through your books is also your brother-in-law.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. And, he I mean, uh, again, you,
0: you never insult him. If anything, he's almost like a foil for self-deprecating humor. But you are still That's sort of poking it. at him as a regular, yeah. like, character that appears in your books.
1: <laughs> well, I do think that, yeah, making fun, like, if I'm going to insult anyone, I'd rather insult myself. Right. Because I think <laughs> that, A, you know, it's just like, you know, yeah. less of an asshole move. And B, it's uh you know, I do think just, you know, it it evokes sympathy and, and get points. So yeah, I am, I am for uh, exposing my flaws. That's actually (laughs) one of the, that's one of the lessons from radical honesty is like, be radically honest about your flaws, your mistakes. And I've tried to do that. Like, you know, even with books, I like to point out, you know, I, this is, I would never write this today. Or, you know, this is, I'm really embarrassed by this passage.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think your books would work, really. And again, I mean, I, I'm not—I can't psychoanalyze you. I'm just responding to the books. Mm. If, if there wasn't a pretty high degree of sincerity, like there's a radical honesty, has to be one of the ingredients. Because if you're not reflecting on these experiences, then what's the point in having them, writing about them, or reading them? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm I'm sincerely grateful you say that. I do do think that I do. uh, I am weird more and more as I get older and older. Like weirdly earnest. Like I still want to express it in a humorous way, right? But I do really want to get to the Mm -hmm. truth. And I think, you know, being totally as honest as possible is the best way to do it.
0: Well, the description and the written description of this podcast, I'll have links to your website and to uh, your Amazon page where people can look up your books. uh, Great. And I'll put in your Twitter handle and uh, hopefully people can look you up after this interview. And I just want to thank you for sharing your morning with me and uh, your thoughts about comedy and writing.
1: Well, thank you, Jerry. I loved it, and I will continue to listen to your podcast because I think you do a great job. And and listen, humor and religion are two of the biggest topics uh, around, so uh, I'm glad you're covering them.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Um, All right. right. Have a great day. Yes, you too, sir. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Was it good for you? It was good for me. Hey, I want to thank A.J., Thank you, AJ, for taking the time to talk with me. I really enjoyed our chat. Great guy, uh, super, super funny, super easy to talk to. Uh, Thank you very much. And uh, at the top, I I took the time to thank some people, so I'm not going to repeat all my thank yous. Uh, You guys know I love you. But I do want to thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Remember to give us a rating on iTunes and Stitcher and leave any comments. You can email us at comicalheathen at gmail.com. The Comical Heathen is also on Facebook, And if you want, you can tweet at me directly, the host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. My Twitter handle is at Jerry Clark Jaffe. That's right. My middle name is Clark. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, huh? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Hey, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, AJ. Thanks for listening.